Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. All right. We are here today with David Yousefnia. David, we're so glad you're here with us. Thanks for thanks joining for us. Yeah, well, thanks so, for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being here. So you're an IO psychologist, an entrepreneur. There's so many cool things about your career. I thought it would be fun to start off by telling us what you do and telling us about your career journey. Sure, sure. Happy to do so. So as you mentioned, I'm an industrial organizational psychologist, uh, spent Uh, The beginning parts of my career in consulting was at a large HR consulting firm called Mercer, based in New York City, and at that time helped them uh, build their employee research practice. So we're doing a lot of the early work around employee engagement, culture and climate measurement, and uh, some of what becomes or has become kind of the people analytics space. Um, There's a big shift in how that was done. First, I'm dating myself a little bit from going from paper-based surveys to web-based surveys. But the more substantial shift for that impact in my career was uh, moving from having a closet you know, full of servers to host your own survey and needing that team to manage that technology to the cloud and the whole notion of software as a service. And so uh, I looked around the market and there were a lot of uh, providers providing that service. Uh, so I decided to go out on my own and I ran my own consulting business for about uh, 14 years called Critical Metrics, worked with a wide array of clients over and over again. The New York Times, the Hampton Inn, uh, Salesforce was a client of mine, of ours. Uh, and you know, it, was a, it was a great business, learned a lot about running a consulting business and managing a team and managing clients and their expectations. It always wanted to build a product-based business. And um, I was always t- torn because I had this steady, we had this steady stable of clients that we're uh, paying us to do some good work uh, over and over again. And we had a whole system for delivering it. Or there was like, hey, go figure out how to build build a product. And that's money going out and not knowing if it's going to come back in. But we moved out to Seattle. And then a few years later, connected with some folks in the early kind of uh, startup studio space. And um, you know, both at the same time, joined a startup studio called Madrona Venture Labs as an entrepreneur in residence to help um, kind of think about the future of work pre-pandemic, before the future of work was a popular term, and at the same time sold my consulting business. So that kind of allowed me to dedicate my mind share to that. And so I did make that transition into early stage technology companies, kind of focused on uh, um, the the future of work, if you may, and um, built the first company called Uplevel, uh, which was focused on helping software developers do their best work by looking at the footprint data from the everyday tools that they use to get their work done. So we looked at who they were meeting with, who they were chatting with in Slack, looking at what was being worked on and how in Jira and like what was happening in terms of the code repositories. We pulled all of that data together, surfaced up insights around which teams might be at risk of burnout or which aspects or which projects might be at risk of not shipping. Um, and you know, we got that company going back in 2018. We raised a healthy seed round for back then. I think even healthier for these days. 
Uh, and then as the pandemic came uh, to fruition, you know, wanted to work on something that was a little more kind of uh, wider reaching instead of just software developers. And so uh, we've been doing some advising work. I'm in the, uh, the, 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 the beginning stages of building the next startup potentially. And then in my free time, I'm teaching an HR analytics class over at University of Washington at the Foster School of Business. So have my hands always have my hands in a few different uh, few different uh, pots, if you may. Well, congratulations, David. That Thank sounds you. like an amazing career, and and congratulations on all your entrepreneurship or entrepreneurial activities. Um, you mentioned the term future of work. So given what has occurred over the last couple of years with the great resignation or the great reshuffling, whatever you. Yeah. You want to call it what what are your thoughts love to hear your thoughts on um how you think the future of work will evolve yeah no that's a it's a great the great question i think it's still evolving you know i think um when when i first started to kind of think about what was next i, I gave the world to a little bit of time to just settle down and we know that remote and hybrid work is pretty much here to stay i think unless you work for like goldman sachs right he wants everyone solomon wants everyone to come back into the office um, I think that uh, there are going to be some like changes for um, how we do our work, right? Like the notion of do you need FaceTime to be in person all the time? Um, probably not, but I think that's going to have implications too. And, you know, I think that there's going to be uh, companies that are going to go fully back into the office. And I think there'll be companies that are going to stay uh fully remote and then there's those are going to try hybrid and i think the hybrid ones are going to have the biggest challenges like if you either ever put everyone on a screen or put everyone in a conference room and the notion of hybrid for larger companies i think is going to create a lot of moving parts um and so i think you know back in may of 2020 i posted a linkedin post uh with like my seven or eight predictions uh, for the future of work. And then that became like a speaking topic over the last year and a half or two. And some of those, you know, some of those have kind of um, bubbled up, but I think the notion of connection, like how are we connecting with people becomes uh, an important thing. And how can you understand how connected people are will be um, some, will be an area that I think companies are going to be focusing on. So if you look at like, um, Microsoft, right? They're they're at the, kind of the, the, if you're a Microsoft shop, they know and have enough information about you to see how connected uh, people are, are. But how do employees feel about that? To know that like every move I'm, you know, it's like, was it the, you know, every move you make from the police, right? Like I'll be watching you. Like that's, that, that's something companies have to figure out. Um, legally, right? Like yeah, I talk about this with my students, like, all of the data that's produced within a company, the company owns and they have the legal right to look at. Like every keystroke, every chat message, every website you look at when you're on a work computer, does it mean they should, right? Uh, and if they should, like, how does that uh, work itself out? So I think there's a lot for us to still figure out um, in terms of what uh, this, this, this is gonna look like. But if you look at some of the data that's out there, the reason why the great resignation is happening is people don't feel a sense of belonging. That's McKinsey came up with that study. And prior to that, Flint did a study and looked at what leads to burnout, not being connected to your colleagues, right? And so is that just happening because of the pandemic or it's because we're not meeting people without 
planning to meet with people. So that's kind of my take on the future. David, you make some interesting points and it really resonates with me when you talk about uh, the hybrid work is gonna be challenging because there's so many moving parts. When I teach yeah. a hybrid class, the Zoomers always get short shrift. They don't feel like they belong. I have to, it's, it's like teach, trying to teach two different classes right. at the same time. Right. So I, I think people really should be spending more focus on that because they seem to think like that's the great thing. But I wanted to ask about retaining employees and what are some of the things that you've seen companies have put in place that have actually been working in terms of retaining employees? Have you seen anything that's working really well that you'd like to share? I mean, I don't think anything's working. Like we just talked about the great resignation, right? Like I think that it's really hard. I think we're still figuring it out. I think that, um, you know, they're trying to meet people where they are. The, the term employee experience used to mean just like looking at what the experience of the employee is across the employee life cycle from entering into the organization to when they leave, right? Just like the customer life cycle. But what I'm hearing some organizations and experts talk about is that the employee experience is really about meeting people where they are, right? And that's where I think companies are gonna to start to kind of focus in on is like a much more, um, let's say customized or personalized experience for each employee. And if you give them that, then they kind of say, okay, you get me, I'm going to stay versus you know, I think people still need to uh, figure out how they feel about being in person, how they feel about um, being in a room without a mask. I mean, but, you know, we're in Washington State. We just were, I think, the last state to um, remove the mask mandate. Uh, but there's still people walking, you know, still people walk around outside without masks. I mean, with masks. With masks. Um, and that's, a, you know, I'm not making a judgment, but I'm saying that's kind of like, how does that play out when you walk into a conference room? And, you know, or, or, you know, I went to my first uh, maskless event, uh, an HR, you know, conference, and it felt really good, but I think everyone's still a little bit nervous. You know, they knew everyone at the conference had to show proof of vaccination, but it was in a, in a part of the country where there was no other requirements. So they would leave the conference area and they'd put on their mask because they didn't know who, or, who was or wasn't vaccinated that's in, their, in the elevator or in the hallway in the, in the hotel or, or what have you. So I think the, the flexibility is going to be a theme uh, for a lot of employers. Um, and then, you know, uh, you know, understanding, right, why people are leaving and then working off of that. So the notion of employee listening became really popular during the height of the pandemic. And I think it continues to be. Um, and I think that's that's another thing we'll see organizations continue to do. So David, the, I was just kind of thinking about what you were just saying. I, I'm also teaching a course at the University of Washington, and I was really surprised that all the students had their masks on still, yeah. um, even though it's yeah. not a requirement. So it's, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Just, just yeah. kind of how people are feeling about this whole experience and this transition. It's, yeah, it's just wild. Um, yeah. I'd like to, for you to talk to us a little bit more around your work um, with HR analytics. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that you had a company called Critical Metrics, you're teaching this course, I'm really interested in how, how have you seen like people metrics really evolve yeah. since you've been working in this space? Um, and maybe any kind of topics you're particularly excited about in the people in HR analytics? Yeah, yeah. So that's a great question. I think so um, when I first started talking about people analytics, we called it like big data for HR, 
Yeah. And I think it was like the first set of like SHRM and HR conferences I started speaking at was around 2007 and eight. Because I was kind of, as I was preparing for the lectures, I'm like, let me see what I was talking about back then. And back then we we're talking about what's happening now, right? And so I think um, we, we, in the beginning would focus a lot on the survey as the core piece of analytics and then see what, what could we hope to get access to to help us tell a fuller story, right? Um, maybe, maybe a company will give us turnover data or maybe they'll give us performance data and then we can show them, this is a profile of a high performing, this is the engagement profile of a high performing uh, um, team or employee or manager. And I think what's evolved is this, the, we call this the data explosion in a good way. Like there's just so much data in, in the world right now. Um, the, the amount, is it um, Eric Schmidt back in the early 2000s said like, the amount of data that we generate in the world in 48 hours is the equivalent to all of the data we generated from the beginning of time to 2003. Right. And that was back then. Right. And right. I, the, one of the books I'm using is intentionally a few years um, old, I think it's from 2017 or 18. So that, you know, that author makes predictions about what's going to happen now. And then we look at those predictions and we're way beyond that. Wow. Like there's like 6 billion, it was by like 2020, you're supposed to have 6 billion smartphones in the world. There's like a 14 billion. Right. And all of these things are generating data. Um, so like what's new and what's like the next thing is like is is we still ask people about how they feel and also about maybe what's happening and what they do but now we can actually see what they do right mm -hmm. and i think the pandemic and putting everyone to remote work puts everyone on a collaboration platform slack mm -hmm. teams uh zoom right puts everyone on like a whiteboarding app or working on a Google Doc, or using something to track who's working on what, like in in terms of Jira. So there's just a much more richer source of so more more sources of data for us to look at from an HR analytics perspective, and also doing so in a way that respects privacy and in an ethical way, right? Um, and then the way we can look at it, and the way we can store it, and the way we can analyze it is really evolved and changed too. So you know the machine, the things you could do with machine learning. Even not, you don't even have to necessarily build your own models. There are a lot of models that are available through Azure and AWS and Google, Google, you know, Google Cloud's product, right? So, so I think that's going to accelerate the insights with which we kind of can uncover things. But on the flip side, it's like, where are those insights or where are those efforts coming from? And as an IO psychologist, you want to make sure some of the things that most of the things that you're doing are grounded in like you know, some human behavior theory, right? And yeah. be able to uh, explain not in a black box why something's happening and do so in a fair way, right? Uh, to say, well, well, people who wear, you know, uh, uh, a, a blue blazer, sorry, Tess, like are more, more likely to leave the company. Well, we're not gonna hire anyone with blue blazers. Like, but that, 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 is that yeah. fair? Is that right? You know, and so, 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 and that's the risk that sometimes happens um, in, in, in some of those efforts. So I do th think this is a growing area and I'm not alone. Like if you look at the amount of money that's come into HR tech in 2019, it was about uh, $5 billion that was invested. Same in 2020 and then 2021, it's like 17 point something billion dollars. 
Wow. And in 2019, 5 billion was a record, right? So that money is gonna be hopefully put to use in a good way to build great products and break uh, great companies. Um, but I do think that there's there's this value um, kind of paradigm shift that I think some organizations uh, hopefully will start to think about. Some providers will start to think about. There's some kind of it's a it's a slippery slope, or you got to look at it from uh, it's a uh, almost like a tight tightrope that you're you're walking on in terms of looking at these these data sources that weren't intended to be looked at in the way they were generated. Right, the data from Slack, right, is data that is was designed to show you not show you anything. It was just communication between two people. But now, if you're going to extract out a measure or metric and hold people accountable for that, people start to scratch their heads a little bit and say, like, "Are you um, are you watching me? Is this kind of like a big brother, big sister thing?" Um, do I game it? And what's the value to me is the individual that's generating that data. Mm -hmm. And so I think organizations need to think about that in terms of the value chain and give value to the individual and say, hey, Laura, yeah, I'm watching every, not watching, but we're watching a lot of what you're doing on Slack. But as a result of that, I'm going to help you be a better manager. Right. Because I'm going to give you some nudges to say, you never talk to David anymore. And he's like, you're, 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 he's asking you, he asked you 18 questions on, on last week and you answered one replied. of them. <laughs> you never replied or you, you know, you reply to him, you know, there's a three hour delay when you reply to him, but you know, for, for, for tests, it's like five minutes. Right. So like, yeah. those are all, you know, things that you kind of have to think about and you kind of extrapolate across like multiple data sources and multiple platforms. And, uh, you know, I think there's a really, big opportunity there. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. No. I, I want to ask a quick follow-up to that because in, in conversations that, that I've had with leaders around the research that we do, um, primarily I'm, I'm more in the marketing function and mm -hmm. the, the connection between brand and organizational development. But uh, a lot of times leaders are like, we don't know like we know the data's there, we don't know what to do with it. And so what's mm -hmm. the what's so you were talking about the value chain and the way that it impacts the employee, but how do you educate the um the leader, the manager to yeah. know how to le leverage this data and how to actually make decisions, business decisions with how to, you know, create norms within the employee organization or yeah. within teams. Like how, how do you educate the leaders to know how to learn? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think it's a it's it's it it it, it all goes back to who's driving this, right? And you know, um start with what the organizational strategy is and then develop an HR data strategy based on that. Because we know Slack data is here, doesn't mean we should look at it. We should be clear on the reason why we're looking at it. And that reason should be tied to what the organization is trying to do. And if you take that path, then you have a clear kind of answer to what data should we be looking at? What do we have? What do we need to go get? And then what do we need to um, go, go analyze that? So I think it really ties back to what you're trying to achieve. And um, I think we're starting to see, I think, I don't know, Laura, you know, we both have a, 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 a a long background in consulting, like I think, you know, earlier on in our careers, we probably got less of that as uh, a, a signal from our HR customers and clients. 
and I think they've, you know, the proverbial seat at the table is, I think, um, less of a topic now because leaders understand that I, most, if not all businesses are people businesses and I need someone that understands people and I'm going to lean into my, you know, HR leader to do that. Yeah, completely um, agree. Yeah. So David, I'm curious how your own personal life philosophy intersects with the work that you're doing now. Yeah, no, that's it's a great question. I think, you know, in, in, at a high level, being an entrepreneur, like you really have to be mindful of um, what's happening to your career. Like it's really, like no, there's no learning and development. Uh, there's no chief learning officer at your company uh, or anyone that's driving, you know, your, your professional growth. And sometimes, you know, you work through that slower than you want to. And other times it happens, you know, kind of in a very accelerated way. And so for me, from a personal life philosophy, I try to balance what is or isn't happening professionally with just being around a lot of different things personally. So I tend to dive into uh, topics from a personal standpoint to grow and develop in the pandemic allowed for me to learn a few things that I never thought I would learn, you know, at this stage in my life, like uh, uh, I can now wake surf and I can, you know, drive a, drive an old truck. It's a four speed manual. Like those are things that you kind of like just push yourself out there. And when you do that, that I think balances and pushes you to, um, you know, learn about things from a professional, um, from a professional perspective um, is, is probably how I, how I look at things. And then, you know, there's just this notion of, um, you know, uh, what's the impact you want to have the end of your, you know, end of your career and having, not that I'm there, but, uh, you know, being able to leave a legacy. So because this teaching opportunity presented itself, it, you know, I'm really enjoying it, but it's like a way to uh, be able to give back to students who may or may not have an opportunity to hear about this topic from, from someone with my background. Um, you know, and then I'm, I've always taken meetings with early career folks who are interested in career paths and things like that. And that's kind of, those are people I, people I've met with years ago. I, I still, you know, randomly met with years ago. We still keep in touch and that, that, that feels like a good, good thing to do as well. Nice. I love that. I wanted to just ask a follow-up question to something you brought up before when we were talking about connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so really thinking about you know, so, so many people are remote. You were bringing up this idea yeah. that that's, you know, a real, could be maybe a real barrier, a real reason why people are feeling um, like maybe they don't want to work in a particular company. They're just not feeling that connection anymore. Do you have any um, examples or, um, you know, best case, best practices around how to really build that connection or reignite that connection yeah. for remote workers? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I think we're, again, um, the dust is just beginning to settle, but like it's, it's being the next month or two is going to get a little bit of a a world, world, you know, dust, dust storm again, a little bit of a, you know, wily coyote kind of spinning around uh, these becoming Microsoft, Google, Facebook, you know, Apple, they're all kind of saying, come on back. Goldman saying, come back, you know, at least five days a week in person, right? I mean, and so if you're pulling people back into a, you know, we like you to be back three days a week, but it's up to your personal, you know, you know, like Amazon has, like it's up to your manager and you're, but like, it, it, is it really up to your manager? Because like at some point 
you know, the senior leaders are not working remotely. Right. They're going to come in. And so I think we're trying to still see what's going to happen there. Um, I, but I do, do think like what has worked, I don't know if it'll continue to work. So what has worked in the past was like these you know, team Zoom team activities, Zoom happy hour, let's all, you know, do a wine tasting or do like a little Bob Ross paint a picture. <laughs> you know, th those things were great those. when when no one knew what was happening in the world, right? Like this is a nice break and, and I feel a little more connected to the people on the call, which more likely than not were my teammates. Yeah. And so what we still don't have is how do you make those what we what we see in the the, the research is um, networks have shrunk by as much as 25% in the pandemic. And that's because all of our free time effort has been on, like, let's do a little game Friday game day with the team and not the cross team. So I, I, I still think that companies are trying to figure out cross team. They, they've seen different things that, that work, but are hard to scale. Like, uh, you know, a random coffee, you know, I'm going to pull two names out of a hat and you guys go have a virtual, or if you feel comfortable in-person coffee. Um, you know, there, there are uh, you know, brown bag type events. People have kind of said, like, you know, you can speak once, once a month or once a week or every two weeks, we're going to have whatever you want to talk on, you can speak on. You can come and give a chat about what you're working on work, around work, where you see the future going or like a project at home. And people who are interested, come and get to know you that way. But as a company grows, like if you're, if you're 100 people, that might work. Two, 300, that might work. 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, you were 2,500 a year ago and you added another 1,000, that becomes a lot harder um, for organizations. So I think, you know, um, we're still on that path of like, what's the right thing to do to feel people more, make people feel more connected? I think that there is, you know, um, uh, there, 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 there is a source of truth, if you may, of like, who everyone should know at work. How do you get there? Like, it's a long, you know, it's a long process to get there. Um, and we have, you know, a lot of that data you know, potentially available. So like looking at, uh, you're gonna start to see more, more, more efforts put into like network graphs, you know, the social graph inside organizations and see who's, who's connected by looking at, you know, how, how often you're meeting with different people or talking to different people. Um, but does that get at the quantity or the quality of the relationship? Right. Like we don't, we don't know. There's still a lot for us to kind of, um, you know, dig into, but we, I think the, the notion of connection is going to be something, it's going to be a, almost a strategic effort or it's going to be up there. Like, well, we need to have engaged employees. People are going to, leaders are going to say, we need to have connected employees. And how, how we connect how we connect them, I think is gonna be a um you know a problem for some some companies to solve. Yeah, for sure. David, this Thanks. has been really great information. And I'm curious as we as we close out the interview today, were there any great questions that we forgot to ask or any thoughts that are on your mind that you'd like to share before you leave us today? Um yeah, I'm glad you didn't ask me to like grab the ukulele and play a song. <laughs> It takes me a little time to warm up, but uh, no, I think this covered. I think this covered a lot. I mean, the future of work, uh, you know, is the future is now. It's the now of work, as some people are calling it. And I think that um, you know, we we still have a lot of work ahead of us. But I think the the mindset of most companies is to take a, take an approach that's um, 
mindful of where people are and meeting people where they need to be met versus a heavy hand approach of this is what the, the, the future is going to be like. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, David, thank you so much for your time today. Really yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for your insights. Well, thank you guys. It was nice to meet you all. And I really appreciate it as well. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.